Okay, we're going to read The Home Ranch, Ralph Moody's 1956 book. This one's published by University of Nebraska Press. We're on Chapter 8. It's called Lost. Lord, um, I think we know it's coming. Uh, and so we thank you that on this earth, you give us direction. You give us uh, wisdom and really knowledge about yourself, Lord God, to know you, to hear from you and to rejoice that uh, your scripture gives truth. So as we read this chapter tonight, let us remember uh, how you make all things plain that need to be plain and um, other things are a mystery and we are fine with that. We give you thanks, Lord God, for your great work because of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. Hank led off up the ridge where uh, we'd been working on, quartering along below the trees. With the whole sky clouded over, I couldn't be sure of the direction, but if the canyon had looped around the way I thought it had, we'd be heading north. I knew the home ranch was just a little south of straight east, so I asked, Aren't we going the wrong way, Hank? Just a dive, he said, to get around these here trees. I kept still for another half hour, but was sure we should have gone up the ridge on the other side of the canyon. After Hank turned up a rocky ridge to our left, I asked again, Are you sure we're going the right way? Got the mountain fever already, he laughed. By doggies, I seen prairie men get so fuddled up in these here mountains they didn't know straight up from Sunday. Now, you take, why, afore I was your age, I didn't say you were wrong, I told him. I just thought we should have gone up the other side of the canyon. Go for the, enough that away, and you'd land plumb in the Great Salt Lake. You just keep your britches drug up till we fetch the top of this here ridge, and I'll point you out the domes of Pikes Peak. I know these here land mountains like I know the palm of my own right hand. The ridge was a lot higher than it looked to be, and it took us nearly two hours to reach the top. When we got there, Hank couldn't point out Pike's Peak or anything else. By that time, it was drizzling, and the clouds hung so low we could barely see the next ridge. There was a deep canyon to cross before we reached it. The drizzle had turned into a steady rain, and it was growing dark and cold. I couldn't keep my teeth from chattering, was so hungry my stomach squealed, and was beginning to worry when Hank sang out, "'Bye, doggies! I reckon I missed a beeline by a hair. This year will fetch us out to the calf pasture just the other side of that low ridge.' I was so mixed up that all the ridges looked alike, but I did remember a low one to the west of the calf pasture, so I said, "'Oh, yes, I remember it now. I guess we better hurry before it gets darker or Mr. Bachelet begins to worry.' "'Batch, he ain't got no worries.' Excepting that a team of getting drowned in that cloudburst. Way this here rain's a picking up, it won't be long for hits. You hang close on my trail so you don't get lost when the dark comes on. I hung close on Hank's trail, but don't know if we ever got to the top of the ridge he was talking about. Before we were halfway down the one we were on, it was so dark we had to feel for each step before we took it. And the rain was getting colder with every step. Once I slipped and fell, and my axe went rattling and skidding down the mountain. There was a second or so and didn't make a sound. Then it rang against a rock way below us. Ever since twilight, I've been afraid a bear or mountain would spring out on us, but that didn't frighten me anymore. I was too afraid that it might step off a cliff and that my own head might land on a rock the way the axe had. Hank was either as scared as I or his, <laughs> or his teeth chattered worse. When he tried to scold me for dropping the axe, his words sounded as if he were chewing them when he let them go. I chewed right back and told him I thought we'd better stay where we were till daylight, but he wouldn't do it. He said we'd be in the calf pasture in half an hour, and all I had to do was to watch my step and keep close behind him. 
I couldn't watch my step, and when I tried to keep close, I bumped into him. He yapped and scolded me, but he didn't try to go any further down the mountains. We quartered across the face of it for what seemed an hour, then climbed again. I think it was the climbing that saved us. We'd only gone a little way, crawling on our hands and knees, when we came to a solid wall of rock, and there were dry fir needles at the foot of it. I don't know whether I slept or not, but I dug down into the needles and raked them over me as if they were a blanket. I only remember being cold and scared for a long time, and that I ached all over. When the first light of morning came, white fog filled the canyons, and low-hanging gray clouds sliced off the tops of the, all the peaks and ridges. Hank was half-buried in the needles, lying on his back and snoring with his mouth open. As I watched him, he jumped in his sleep and mumbled something I couldn't understand, but I could tell that he was afraid. For the first time, I knew we were nowhere near the calf pasture and that Hank was completely lost. I heard plenty of stories about people being lost in the mountains and wandering in circles until they dried, uh, died of cold or starvation. I was already so hungry, I felt weak and was sure we'd just wander around till we dropped in our tracks. Then I remembered that we'd been that we'd have been at the home ranch before dark if Hank had followed back the way we'd come, instead of being so cocksure about making the shortcut. The more I thought of it, the sorrier I was for myself, and began thinking I hated Hank for always bragging and acting as if he knew more than anybody else. I don't know why, but that started me remembering things I'd done since I'd come away from home, and I wasn't a bit proud of them. Mr. Bachelet had had to scold me a dozen times for te tearing into things before I stopped to think. I'd picked... Uh, blue boy when I knew he was too much horse for me and that nobody wanted me to take it. And only because Hazel had called me a little boy, I picked clay and made a monkey of myself every time I'd used him. I'd made an even bigger monkey of myself when I climbed on Kenny's donkey backwards. And I couldn't be very proud of bragging because I could cut posts better than Hank or of sharpening the axe I thought I was going to use and leaving his dull or of not showing him how to fell trees after knowing I had beat him anyway. I'd never stopped to think of it before, but ever since I could remember, I'd wanted to do something real big, so people wouldn't call me little britches and treat me like a boy. But more than half the time, I tried to do things that were too big and had only made myself look silly. As I lay there thinking about it, Hank mumbled again and struck, struck out in his sleep. My first thought was that he'd struck out just as blindly when he tried to make the shortcut. And then I was ashamed of myself. I couldn't help thinking he and I were a good deal alike. Maybe he was trying to do things too big for him so people wouldn't call him an old man. Maybe he bragged about things he used to do because he couldn't do them anymore and because he wanted the same thing I did, to have other people think he was as smart and able to do things as they were. As the daylight strengthened, I forgot about being afraid and about being sorry for myself. I thought I hated Aunt Hank, but all I knew I didn't, and that he was the one to be sorry for. All I had to do was to use my head a little to know that I wasn't in very much trouble, we couldn't be too badly lost because we hadn't gone very far and knew the home ranch was just east of the mountains, certainly not more than 10 or 15 miles away. In June, there would be no blizzards or hard cold that low in the mountains, and the sky was almost um, never clouded over for more than one or two days at a time. Just as soon as we could see the sun and find our direction, it would be easy to find our way out. And when we did get no out, nobody would blame me for getting lost, and I'd have all the rest of my life to do something really big enough to be proud of. But Hank was an old man. He'd probably never be able to make, do anything big enough to make people respect him. Besides that, Mr. Bachelor had told him he wouldn't keep him unless he was back with a load of posts by sunset. Then, too, after all his bragging about knowing the mountains, the men would josh him forever about getting lost. 
I didn't believe there was much sense in trying to go any further until the sun came out, so I pushed more dry needles up over Hank and went back to thinking until he woke up. Hank came out of the needles as if he'd been stung, grabbed his axe, and swung it above his head. Then he jerked around and shouted, Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Bye, doggies! I don't know what batches are thinking about sending men off to these mountains without no gun. I guess you were having a bad dream, I told him. Nothing has stirred here, around here since daylight. Hank rubbed a hand across his eyes and said, Bye, doggies, I must have dozed off. What time of day is it? About six, I said. It's been light for about an hour. Hank climbed stiffly to his feet and didn't have to do any acting for me to know he had a bad backache. He didn't put his hands out, but stood as if he were carrying a heavy log on his shoulders. Dad gummed weather, he grumbled. A man can't scarcely see a landmark no place. Was the sky lighter one way or to other? Sun sun up. Why didn't you rouse me? Wouldn't have done any good, I said, and I thought you needed the rest. Daylight came so slow that... You leave me to do the thinking, he hollered. If you'd aroused me at daylight, come on. We'd have been out of these here mountains for now. I reckon the calf pasture lies right over the ridge yonder, and I don't aim to have nobody. Hank didn't finish. He picked up his axe and hobbled away down the mountainside. I stumbled along behind him with my teeth chattering. It had stopped raining, but our clothes were still wet from the night before. Under the dry fur needles, I hadn't noticed it much. But as soon as the cold morning air got through them, I felt as if I'd been dipped in an ice pond. The wet rocks were as slippery as soap, and drops of water hung on every bush and twig. By the time we were down as far as the fog, we'd both fallen a dozen times where it is wet, and were as wet as if we'd been in pouring rain. With each fall, Hank moved slower and rowed at me as if I'd made him fall. With every step, the fog grew thicker until we couldn't see ten yards ahead, and it seemed to me that Hank was bearing off to our right. When I asked him about it, he chattered, don't tell me where I'm a-going. Don't you know? think I know? I aim to follow this here canyon down to where it comes out right western of the buildings. Ain't no sense in us heading for the calf pasture. <clears throat> there was nothing for me to do but keep my mouth shut and follow where, we, where he led me. As near as I could guess, it was about noon when the fog began to lift. Little by little, it rose until we could see nearly a mile ahead. And there the canyon ended, with mountains rising around it in a solid wall. Hank was too tired and discouraged to even swear. He slumped down on a rock with his face buried in his hands. For a minute or two, I thought he was crying. Then he mumbled, Oh, the fog, dadgum fog, must have twisted me about. This here's the wrong way. We got to get out. We got to get out whilst we got strength. I don't want to remember much about that afternoon. A cold, drizzling rain came on again as soon as we'd started back, and Hank was so worn out he could only take a dozen or so steps without stopping to rest. At first, I tried to help him, but as weak as a wet robin and glad enough to get rest whenever he had to. <coughs> All afternoon, he kept telling me the mouth of the canyon was only a couple of miles ahead, but I knew he was just talking to keep me from being afraid. Well, before dark, I'd given up any hope of ever getting out alive, and the only thing I could think of was getting back to the dry fur needles under the overhanging cliff. Hank must have given up hope at about the same time. He didn't try to lead the way anymore. He didn't talk, and I don't think he knew I was trying to find the cliff again. It was almost dark when I saw it, high up on the mountainside. Hank had to make the last part of the climb on his hands and knees, then flop down as if he were dead. I pushed as many needles over him as I could, scraped out a nest, and covered myself over. I was sure that that was the end of me, and tried to pray, and to think about Mother and the other children at home. But it was sort of warm under the dry needles, and I kept falling half asleep. Once when I was 
Once when it was black as pitch, I heard a a scream that made shivers run up and down my back. Hank mumbled, mountain lion, but I wasn't frightened. And the next thing I knew, the sun was shining. Hank was still asleep, and it was cold under our cliff. But across the canyon, the sun looked warm and yellow against the mountains. For a while, I was too lazy to move. But I knew that we'd, that we'd be able to find our way back to the home ranch, and it was kind of nice just to lie there and know it. After a while, I, got to, I called to Hank, but he only groaned. When I got up and shook him, he didn't wake. I was sure he was dying, and I guess I lost my head. I was shaking the, <laughs> I was shaking the liver out of him when he mumbled, Ain't no sense of hollering. Save your strength and get out, kid. Go towards the sunrise. Then he flopped back and went to sleep again, and wouldn't even try to wake up when I shook him. Before I started to skirt the cliff and climb towards the sun, I scooped up a, out a deep nest, rolled Hank into it, and covered him good and deep with dry needles. Then I took off my jumper and spread it over the top. My legs were about as wobbly as a new colt's, but by taking it easy and resting as often, I got to the top of the ridge. I wasn't any longer afraid of not getting out, but I was afraid of not being able to find my way back to where I'd left Hank. Before I started down the far side, I stopped long enough to fix every mountain and every ridge and canyon in my memory. I thought that once I reached the top of the ridge, the going down would be easy, but it wasn't. From just holding myself back, my legs got so shaky I had to keep sitting down to rest them. I nearly reached the bottom and was sitting on a rock trembling when I heard the sweetest music I ever hoped to hear. It was faint and far away and came echoing up from the canyon in front of me. She wore a yellow ribbon round her neck. The echo of the neck whispered over and over again as it died away. I wanted to laugh and cry at the same time and went running down the mountain yelling, Zeb! Zeb! As loud as I could. Then my legs went all to jelly, and I fell tumbling and rolling like a stick in a spring flood. I must have bumped my head because when I woke up, Zeb was holding me as if I were a baby and was splashing cold water from a creek onto my face. I tried to tell Zeb I was all right and that I'd wait right there while he went for it to Hank, but he wouldn't do it. He just shook his head and said, Covered over, covered over warm, the way you say, that old rooster will hold out a week if he had to. Batch and the boys is somewhere hereabouts. I'll fetch him after I get you took care of. Then we weren't very far from the home ranch, I asked. About 20-odd miles due west, I'd say. Then how did you know where to look for us, I asked. Calculate old Hank might head for California. Most men goes wrong way goes the wrong way when they get scared. Don't stop to take notice signs around him. You sit there till I let off a blast to call the boys in. I hadn't noticed till then that Zeb was carrying a six-shooter. He pointed at the sky and emptied it. Two and two and two. Then he picked me up, hung me over his shoulders like a shawl, and slouched away down the canyon. He didn't seem to hurry or pay much attention to where he stepped, but his loose jointed stride would have kept me trotting, and he wound through the boulders and brush without breaking a twig or rolling a stone. That's the end of chapter 8. Love you.